Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, and I'm joined by a special guest, Pippin Williamson. Uh, Pippin is somebody I look up to in the WordPress space and as an entrepreneur. He's done a lot of interesting things for WordPress as an entrepreneur, as a product company, as a leader of teams, and just as an all-around interesting guy. Um, we're both twins, so there's a fun fact for you out there. And I want to start by just welcoming welcoming you to the show, Pippin, and ask you about your tagline just on your, your site or your blog or whatever, where it says, a nature-loving farm boy that found his way into the internet and technology. I'm kind of a nature-first guy, technology, then it, the technology thing happened. But how did that happen for you? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so that comes from growing up. Um, I come from a pretty large family. There were uh, five siblings and then my parents. Uh, we, we grew up on an apple orchard in the middle of central Kansas, about 20 to 30 minutes from the nearest town. Um, and we grew up uh, completely unschooled. So we were pretty, pretty much free to run around the property. And uh, we had about 100 acres of woods and prairie out there. Um, so uh, growing up, I would just, I, I grew up surrounded by nature, um, encouraged to go out and uh, be outside all day. I, I prefer to be outside all day. I ran around barefoot most of the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had, we had a very just nature oriented, uh, childhood and that has, um, become very much part of me, like being out in nature and being connected to, um, the natural environment is really, really important to me. Um, but at the same time, we had a very technologically, oriented family. My dad is a software developer and we had computers in the house as long as I can remember. Uh, we had, we were one of the first houses in the area to get high-speed broadband. Um, we were probably one of the first to have a dial-up connection. Then we were the first to have a fiber connection. And so even though we were very uh, nature and outdoors oriented, having an apple orchard and a little bit of a farm, we were still computer people. Um, and that kind of naturally transitioned into me um, turning into a software developer as well. I, I gained love for programming pretty early on, sometime maybe around 10 or 12 years old when I started programming robotics. Um, and then uh, during college and late high school, I started transitioning into uh, web development, building uh, things online, uh, which then eventually turned into the business that I run today. But I still go back and uh, try to uh, remember the importance of like being outside and um, yesterday for example I decided I had enough of the internet and decided I'm gonna spend the evening just splitting firewood um, and going back and uh, ha having a goal of being completely sustainable on our own um, and so yeah that's if, if I could be anywhere in the world it would be outside in nature and but I'll probably take my laptop with me <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah, I, re I really relate to that story. And, and just for those of you listening, um, unschooling, it's actually a, a parenting style that I practice where our kids are homeschooled without a traditional curriculum and kind of just lead what they're interested in. And, you know, we facilitate that as parents. Yeah. It's an emerging trend now, but it's been around for a long time, too. Um, I'd like to get into a little bit with you, Pippin, about just that piece. Uh, um, how old are you right now? 28. 
And um, Pippin, uh, some of he, some of the uh, products he's best known for in the WordPress space is um, Affiliate WP, and then there's a membership system called Restrict Content Pro, and then Easy Digital Downloads. And for those of you who are familiar with Lifter for selling courses, um, it integrates with Affiliate WP. So if you want to add an affiliate program, you can do that with Pippin's product. And we'll get into that a little later. But uh, before we get into you know that the business and the technical stuff, what was it like as a like when did you start your first company? You've got between one and two hundred WordPress plugins free and paid out there. You're kind of prolific. Um, but when did you you started programming programming robotics at ten years old or something like that? Mm-hmm. But when when did how did the entrepreneurship <clears throat> how did so, the entrepreneurship start? That probably started um, maybe around when I was fourteen to fifteen. Um, my brother actually beat me to it um, in. So when we were about 14, 15, I have an identical twin brother. Uh, he got really into 3D modeling and uh, using an open source piece of software called Blender 3D. And he started creating a business around that um, before we entered high school. And uh, so he, w- he was already doing that and making pretty good money for himself um, before we had, before we graduated high school, before we went to high school, um, and that was one thing with our unschooling experience, we we were unschooled until high school, and then we chose to go to a public school. Um, but anyway, so that kind of he did, he did that, and my dad was a a freelance software developer, and so we had that just kind of naturally in our family. I started it um, basically my freshman year of college, where I went to the University of Kansas. Um, I would, I just started taking on freelance clients uh, for building websites for anybody that would hire me. And eventually that turned into building plugins for WordPress. And I, the first plugin I built, I threw it up on a website called CodeCanyon.net, which is a marketplace run by Envato. And I sold a couple copies of it. And that just kind of got me started on building a whole lot more. And so I built another plugin and then I built another and I built another and I just... I, I had a lot of time on my hands, and so I, I was really interested in it. I was having a lot of fun, so I just kept building them. Um, eventually, it turned into a large enough revenue stream to be able to quit doing freelance work and move solely to building plugins, at which time uh, I really started looking into setting up as a real company um, as opposed to just an individual. And then that was, oh, that would have been 2012, 2013. Um, and then once I did that, then it started really growing and, and turning into um, an actual company where we have employees and, and other team members and things like that over the next couple of years. And where we are today, a, a team of 13 with a few contractors. How'd you pick your niches or your niche of, you know, I guess uh, it looks I, like e-commerce. There's a common e-commerce mm-hmm. thread here. So all of our, our three main products, uh, which are all e-commerce based memberships, uh, digital products and affiliate marketing um, were all all started through solving my own problems, solving my own pain points. So originally, uh, Restrict Content Pro was the first. I wanted to run a membership site. On uh, I was writing t- development tutorials, teaching people how to write plugins, and I wanted to have a membership site to uh, lock down access to those tutorials to paid subscribers. I didn't like the membership plugins that I found, so I built my own. Um, then eventually I wanted to move my, the plugins that I was selling off of Code Canyon. I didn't like the options for selling plugins on my own site, so I built my own. I was then running a 
successful e-commerce store through my platforms and I wanted to run an affiliate program. I didn't like the options, so I built my own. That's that's really cool. So scratching your own itch. Were you at all like intimidated by, let's say, um, going up against an established leader in, in uh, like the e-com- WordPress e-commerce space, like WooCommerce? So when you did easy digital downloads, um, you d- you just went for it. And it sounds like you were going to go for it anyways because you wanted mm-hmm. to build a better mousetrap that mm-hmm. solved your exact problems. Did you even care for a second about the competition? Not even remotely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously we acknowledged it was there. We know, uh, pay attention to it, but we also realized, look, competition is good. Competition breeds creativity competition. Um, I mean, as long as you're not going out trying to sabotage each other, it breeds, uh, it breeds collaboration. And, um, we get to solve pain points that they don't, they either don't have, uh, for, well, we get to solve pain points that are not on their radar or that are not their focus and they get to solve pain points that are not ours. So it becomes a nice ish, nice um, ecosystem where I don't want every customer that's out there because we want to build a product that is built for, to serve specific purposes. And if it doesn't, if a customer comes to us and our product doesn't serve their purpose, they shouldn't be using our platform. We would rather send them to a competitor that does solve their problem than try to make our system work for them in a way it's not meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to talk about it. And easy digital downloads. I mean, even in the name of the business, you're differentiating exactly what it's for. It's for mm-hmm. downloads. It's not right. for, it's not for everything store. Right. <laughs> um, I want to get into the affiliate area a little bit. Um, I have, I first, I do the same thing. I scrap my, scratch my own itch lifter, started as a reaction to me trying a lot of courseware course membership solutions and just wanting something different so we ended up going charting our own path other people have found that useful that's why we have a business today that's that's growing and doing great um part of i have what my very first site that i built uh on a wordpress lms uh, i'm actually in the process finally of moving it over to lifter lms and one of the things I can't wait to get it over to Lifter for, besides, there's a lot of reasons, but one of it is... Eating your own dog food is good. Yeah, it is good. And um, the affiliate system I have attached to it has never, it's not, it doesn't work as well as it should. It's had issues. Um, so I'm going to be very soon picking up my own copy of Affiliate WP, relaunching the affiliate program. Uh, and affiliate has actually been a big part of that project in terms of I don't know, a portion of the revenue. So uh, in my experience, and I've also just seen a lot of sites and been around, you know, as an agency of uh, platforms that have an affiliate program. I'm curious in your experience, what percentage of sales do you see coming through the affiliate channel? And and in my experience, I've seen between 10 and like 40%. It just depends. But um, it's, it's a little bit, <laughs> it's actually funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the, uh, the reporting metrics that we don't have built out very well in affiliate WP, but it's one of our biggest needs. And it's one of the things that we've been looking at trying to, to get built out. Um, to, so we, we don't want store owners to have to like guesstimate. We'd much rather just give them a number that says 33% of your sales come through the affiliate side. That's what we would like to do. Yeah. Um, 
it, it becomes a little bit challenging because we integrate with so many different platforms. I mean, obviously we integrate with Lyft LMS, as you mentioned, but then EDD, WooCommerce, and like those are just like a couple of the top ones, but we have almost 30 different integrations. And so then you start figuring out like you want to be able to do that for everybody. Well, okay, so anyway, uh, we have, uh, I believe the last number that we looked at uh, is somewhere around 15 to 20%. Cool. Yeah, that sounds about what I'd expect. Um, what advice do you have, not necessarily for software companies, but in general for people to recruit affiliates? Um, well, what, what do you recommend? I think that the biggest point of failure we see in people implementing their affiliate programs is them installing the plugin, turning it on, and just like letting it sit, assuming that it's going to magically make them money. Yeah. Well, it, it's not a set and forget it system. Um, yes, the system itself is set it and forget it in terms of does it function, but you actually need to be proactive in encouraging people to join your affiliate program and, and actually like helping educate them on your product or do you have new, do you have new items coming out? Educate your affiliate base on that. So I think that the biggest thing, and, and this is something that I will be perfectly honest with you, we have not done well at in the past, but we've recognized it. And so we have been working a lot this year to actually improve this, but you just need to communicate with your affiliates. You need to give them tips. You need to give them resources. You need to give them heads up. If you, are you going to have a promotional sale coming up? Give your affiliates a heads up so that if they want to put out material to help advertise it, they can do that. Don't say, Hey, today for the next three days, we're doing a sale. Go ahead and let people know. Like, Great. Those affiliates, one of them was on vacation. One of them was already busy for the two days. And so if you don't give them a heads up, you've lost any traffic that they might have been able to give you. Um, and, and so you need to communicate with them. And I think that's the biggest we, the, the biggest failing point that we see most of the time is people just not communicating both to their existing affiliates, but also communicating to new affiliates like and actually reaching out to people and encouraging them to join. Um, so that's probably the number one thing that I would re recommend above anything else. I mean, whatever your, uh, you can figure out what percentage of a commission you give affiliates. You can figure out how often you pay them. You can figure out all those other stuff. But if you're not communicating and you're not proactively reaching out to them, it's not going to work anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a super good point. And, and also like just once you have them, that's one thing, but going after them, having it, if you build it, they will come mentality. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, you've got to go recruit, go find somebody that has your audience. That's not a right. direct competitor. I mean, set it, like, just build and they will come can work every now and then. Like, if you have a super stellar brand or you have a super stellar product or something like that, and you have a proven track record. Um, but you, you might get a lot of people, but you may not get the ones that you want. Keep in mind that, one really good affiliate is probably worth dozens or hundreds of mediocre ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think maybe we can just give out like three tips. I'll go, I'll do one while you think about it <laughs> and then you can, you can come up with two. But, um, for one of my sites, education sites that I have an affiliate program for one of the ways I get affiliates is I'm in a very specific hyper-focused niche. So if you Google, the niche name plus affiliate program. It's the number one search result on Google. I wrote a blog post to like introduce the affiliate program specifically targeting, Hey, this niche has an affiliate program. Here it is. If 
basically if you're a publisher or blogger, you're looking to monetize your site and you teach in this topic for this one, it happens to be a sub niche of organic gardening called permaculture. You're going to find our affiliate program and cause there's not that many out there. Um, affiliate programs for that niche per se. Um, so that's just one tip is, you know, just cr- introduce it, like write a bunch of content, mm-hmm. e- even just like one nice blog post about it, talking about your niche. Cause there's <laughs> many bloggers out there who write about that stuff, looking to monetize their content. Yeah. I wrote a blog post when we first opened the affiliate program for, for easy digital downloads. I wrote a blog post on my site basically saying, Hey, the affiliate program is up. You're welcome to come join. And we then maybe six nine months after that, we closed it down. Um, now, we have since reopened it, but immediately after closing that, I didn't realize that that was actually getting a ton of traffic because I would get emails every single week of like, hey, I can't, I can't join. What's up? Like, where can I join? <laughs> like, oh, you know, inviting people to join. It works. Um, I think my my tip would be to, yes, you want to invite people to join because number one, how are people going to know about it if you don't? Um, but simultaneously, be careful with who you let in. Don't just let anybody in just because they said, Hey, I would like to help promote you because what you don't, what you, you want to make sure that you're controlling your brand and your reputation. You don't want to have a bunch of really subpar affiliates, just dropping spammy links on a bunch of random sites that have no provide no value to you and potentially actually um, harm your brand in some way, even if it's in a, in a minor way. So moderate them, be careful, um, be be thoughtful on who you, who you do let in and why you let them in. Um, and at the same time, be, be considerate of why are you turning somebody down? Like, is it just because you don't like them? They didn't give you a good enough application? What is it? Um, but just think about that. Don't, don't just assume that everybody that applies is going to be a good affiliate. Yeah. And, and you already gave another tip, which was it's better to have like one really good affiliate than, you know, like if you're going to just do a couple things, like, Make sure people can easily find your affiliate program. Mm-hmm. Invest in maintaining the quality. There's all kinds of shady affiliate activity out there that's yeah. going to hurt your brand. And then recruit. If you're not, if you have limited time and resources, go for like one really good affiliate. It'll be it's better than a hundred ones that aren't. Absolutely. Involved. I mean, we have for each of our brands, we've got two or three top affiliates, and and they easily send three to. 20 times as much traffic as anybody else and not just traffic, but actual conversions. So yeah, traffic that converted into actual sales. If you're new to affiliate marketing, there's a concept called a super affiliate. What you want is a super affiliate ideally, or a couple of them or several of them. Um, well let's, let's switch gears in the conversation a little bit to uh, just kind of your entrepreneurial side. What, I know some people look at you and they're like, I, you know, I want to make sure I'm supporting my kids and if they want to become entrepreneurial, like what tips do you have for somebody <laughs> looking to raise entrepreneurial kids or empower them to pursue that if they want to do that? What was the, what was, you know, what, what tips do you have about that? Um, so I think one of the, one of the, Looking back on it, one of the things that my parents did that really encouraged us, um, well, well, first of all, was just encouragement of you can do it if you want to. Um, that's pretty important. It's just an having, yeah, having it's, it's an option to do pursue anything you want, whether you succeed or fail. You have the option to pursue anything. 
Um, and so just being open and, and acknowledging that yes, uh, in, in, in the digital age, especially that we can, um, even if we fail, we can try. Um, I think that's really important. Um, having a mentality that it's okay to fail is, is good because don't, I think we, we tend to, the, the Silicon Valley um, model tends to celebrate failure and I think maybe too much, but at the same time, we need to recognize like where did that come from? And it's acknowledging that it's okay to fail. It's like if you, it's better to try and fail than to not try at all. Um, doesn't mean that it's a celebration of a failure if you fail, but it's still okay to do that. Um, um, I think those are those are some of the big ones. I mean, obviously, everybody is in a different position. Um, some people have a lot more flexibility to try and fail because maybe because they're more financially stable than others, or or maybe they have um, some other kinds, whatever kind of resources it is that that they have. Um, your what your resources are really going to determine whether like how much flexibility you have. But overall, it's I think more than anything, it's a um, the mental mindset is really important of just saying yes, I am I am going to try. Yeah, that's good stuff. Let me, I think this is related to this in some ways. Um, We kind of breezed by it earlier that you had made somewhere between 100 and 200 plugins. You don't have one product. You have uh, like the three main products. Three main legs to the table. Plus you have started a a brewery. Is that right? Working on it. Um, So you're, some would call that prolific. How much, how much, how much of it that is personality? How much of that is just you as an entrepreneur? Like what, what's going on with your prolificness? <laughs> it's definitely just a lot of it is my personality. I've always, um, you're a doer. Always, I'm, I'm very much a doer. I've always had a lot of projects going simultaneously. Um, I mean, as a kid, as in high school and college, et cetera, I've always had lots of things going on. Um, I think, I think uh, the freedom to be bored is an amazing gift. However, if you are bored, my question is why? Because if you're bored, then obviously you're not doing enough. That's the way that I've always looked at my own mentality. And so if I find myself sitting around bored suddenly, and, and to me, so I can, I can sit in front of, I can, in the evening, I can go veg out and watch Netflix for two hours. To me, that is very different than being bored and watching Netflix as a result of being bored. So, um, in my mind, if I'm bored, it's because I don't have enough to do. And so, I have not been bored in 15 years, at least. Um, and so, if, if I have open time, I'm going to do something, and whatever that is. So, uh, when I was originally building the, the WordPress business, it was, well, if I, have the, if I have the time to be bored, I'm going to build another plugin or I'm going to enhance a plugin. Um, net, right now, if I have the time, the, the luxury of being bored, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to build something else. And so, right now, I'm building a brewery. Um, or at home, it, I start building a project at home, whether it's something in the workshop or uh, I have, I'm building a little wood shop right now. Um, that is really just a mentality, I think. Um, and I think that is something that most, uh, business owners, 
uh, especially those that have a bit more entrepreneurial spirit, probably um, are familiar with, like just this idea that you're, you're always doing something, you're always pushing on something. And it's not, nece it's not necessarily a, yes, there's a drive to succeed, there's a drive to do more, but it's also just this, it's curiosity. And this, I want to go explore new things and have fun doing it. And if I, if I decide that it's not for me after a year, that's fine. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, hopefully I don't bankrupt myself doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, a, that's really good. I, I share that where I'm actually, I've never bored. I can't remember the last time I was bored. And if I find myself like alone with nothing to do or walking in the woods, not work. Yeah, I'm like, great. Now I have time to think, work on these problems in my head. <laughs> so yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, I just, I don't experience boredom either. If that's an interesting uh, way. I, I don't think, I don't think any successful business owner or entrepreneur experiences boredom. They've experienced boredom. Absolutely. Like I, I can remember when I was bored last, <laughs> yeah. but I remember changing that and saying, <laughs> I'm not going to be bored again. I don't have time to be bored. Uh, and, and I don't know. It, maybe it's maybe it's just there's a, a different wiring in 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 brains that I don't know what it is. But well, related to this, uh, like being prolific, uh, sometimes you shut things down. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, I was actually on the WP Tonic panel podcast, and one of the articles discussed was your recent article about closing your membership. And I know you recently put your podcast apply filters on pause. Yep. What's going on with those two projects and what's your approach to maintaining focus or what, what's your reasoning behind all this? So the, the overall, there's, there's two things that I think are the main reason behind shutting some projects down. Um, at, at least for the ones that we've shut down recently. So I'll talk about the, the podcast and the memberships on pitfitsplugins.com. So one of, one of them is simply, are we still having fun doing it? Uh, I, it's a little bit of a luxury to be able to say, but I think if we're not having fun doing it, why are we doing it? Um, obviously that doesn't always apply. There are things that we do. I mean, there's things that I do every day that I don't enjoy, but I do them because they're necessary. But if we look at something and say, does, does disabling this or just ceasing to work on this, does it hurt us anyway? If the answer is no, and we're not enjoying it, then why are we doing it? So the, the podcast, we, I really loved doing it. But eventually we got over the honeymoon phase of that podcast and we, it started to become a little bit more mature and it wasn't some, it was not a focus for us. It wasn't a primary focus. So we decided let's, let's pause it indefinitely. Um, if we want to come back to it, we can. Uh, and then the memberships on Pippin's plugins. Uh, so that was, um, I mentioned earlier, that was a membership that I launched back in 2012. Um, and it was, that is what built Restrict Content Pro, which is now one of our primary products, was I wanted to run a membership, so I built a plugin to do it. And I ran that since 2012, um, and there was a couple reasons for shutting it down. Number one was I was simply not able to produce content for it anymore. Um, so there was, a, there was a large catalog of content that was provided to members, but it wasn't getting updated anymore. And I could not justify continuing to accept payments from, from people if I was not going to be producing any new content. So I held on to the hope that I could produce new content for about, for a long time. Um, and kept it going, trying to get back into producing content and eventually just decided it's just not going to happen because it's not a priority um, for X, Y, and Z. And 
it is not going to uh, significantly hurt us financially to disable it. And so the only thing, the best thing that I can do is to discontinue it. So because number one, I no longer have this battle inside of whether it's okay to take people's money without producing new content, get rid of that problem. And two, re relieve the, the, the burden of knowing that I'm failing at, at, at taking care of these members. Um, and then at the same time, I can do a good thing by taking all of the content that was, re that was blocked behind the membership and just open it up. Um, there's no reason we can't do that. So all of it comes down to getting better at saying no and choosing where our time is going to be spent, where our focus is put. And so I decided that the membership and the podcast were not two, were, were two things that I needed to say no to because they were not um, in, in terms of the value that I was getting from them personally, they took more, even just being there than I was getting out of them. Yeah, that's, that's really good stuff there. Let me ask you also about leadership. Uh, a lot of the course creators and membership people out there may be a one person show. A lot of them are just like you and I were when we first started freelancing or whatever, charging for, or building our first products. What you became, you built a team. How big is Sandhills development now? We have 13 full-time team members as well as a couple of contractors. What were the challenges for you in transitioning to a leader? I, I mean, and I think it also might be an inspiration to younger people starting businesses. I think the, um, so the, the probably the biggest challenge I have is just delegation. Um, coming from a one man shop and coming from the, the, the doer attitude of, I'm just going to do, I can do whatever I want. I can, Get I can, um, um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll jump in. I have no problem being on the front line. I'll, um, it just, it was a natural challenge for me to let go of doing certain things and delegating those out. And so a lot of our initial team members that came on either did complimentary, uh, work to me. Like for example, uh, the first people that, that I brought on were there to help with customer support, but I was still doing customer support. I didn't replace myself. I just added on because I couldn't handle all of it. I was still doing just as much as, as they were. And then the same thing uh, next was development. And so I hired a couple of developers and they were doing, I was doing just as much development as they were. Um, and then that, that expanded out more developers, more support. Uh, and it really wasn't, I, I mean, it, it took at least a couple of years before I had truly offloaded tasks. That I, so I stopped doing. So today I do very little of the development. Um, I do up until about a month ago, I still did a lot of the support. Now I'm working on stepping out of the support side as well. Um, I think that, but yeah, that's my main challenge has always been delegate and has not, I think some people might ask if it has to do with trust. Like I know that I can do the job well. Do I trust someone else to do the job well? And it's not that. Um, I've never had a problem with trust. The, the only people that I hire are people that I trust um, 100% anyway. Um, and I, I've always thought, like, look, if I, can't, if I can't trust you with the keys to the, to the business, why are you here? Like, I, have, I don't, if I can't trust you, then you shouldn't be here. It's basically the, 
So it has nothing to do with trust. It's just, I'm just not. Okay, let me give you a, a very specific example. I recently dele delegated uh, or worked with one of my team members to take over handling uh, fraud cases and charge disputes and things like that. We, we'll, we'll have sales come through, they later get disputed as fraud or somebody disputes it as they didn't like it or whatever. I have always handled those myself. I, I'll go to Strife, I'll go to PayPal, I'll work on handling those disputes. I recently assigned that over to one of my team members to take over. And so, but I still get the, I get an email every time a new dispute pops up and I inherently just dive in and start doing it. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, no, stop. I was supposed to give this over here. Like, he's supposed to handle that now. I shouldn't do that. So it's, it's just, I just naturally do things. And I now have to tell myself, no, stop, hold on. Somebody else is going to do it. You don't need to do it. Um, and that's been an interesting transition for me. It, it, I think this last year, the last 365 days is when I really started to recognize the effects of that because I actually had a lot of days this spring and this last spring and summer um, bored in my office. And now I say bored because what I recognize is like I was sitting there trying to like, I, I'm used to having a big long to-do list of here's what I'm going to work on next. Here's what I'm working on today. And I started to have times when I realized that I had nothing explicitly assigned to my to-do list for that day. And I'm like, I have to figure out what to do. Like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like all of the stuff that I was going to work on is now taken care of. Um, and so it has been a great opportunity because then um, in the same way that boredom incurred is, is a breeder of creativity. All of a sudden now I realize, Oh, I've got three hours. I'm here for until five o'clock. Um, before I go home, I've got th at least three hours to do something. What am I going to do? Where can I best put my time? Um, but getting used to that has been an interesting aspect of leadership that I had not anticipated. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. As I, call, as I keep, I call that I keep telling my, slow down to move fast. Like before yeah. you jump on that fraud dispute chargeback thing, you got to like slow down. Mm -hmm. And then once you empower your team, your company starts moving faster, which then frees right. up your capacity. So you Absolutely. Well, and that's, and that's precisely what has happened. Um, it, it took a little while to recognize it. As I keep telling my team, like I hired myself out of a job. And so now I'm making a new job for myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's really cool. What, just a side question on team. Uh, I come across this where, you know, I'll create a job description or I'll create, I'll like pull out like an isolated thing. Like you're talking about fraud, fraud and disputes or whatever, and like move that over to somebody else. How much do you focus on the job description versus the person? Like if you know a great person and you know, maybe they don't like fit into the box of whatever the job title is perfectly, but they have these skill sets. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Cause I'm sure you have a diverse um, team. We just don't do it. Um, like, do you mean no job titles? Is that what we, you have, we have? We have no job titles. Okay. We don't, have, we don't have titles. We don't have job descriptions. We started to think about that a little bit more this year as we've grown. Um, we're starting to get to the point where it's a little bit more important to actually have uh, titles for people, not to give them a role, but to explain what they do to new people. Yeah. So, for example, we, we, we brought on a new person. We brought on a couple new people in this last six months, but one of them that came on was coming in um, from a very different um, work experience, was not, was not 
super involved in the WordPress world, was not involved with development. Um, and so when she, she came on, it suddenly became important to explain, what does Chris do? What does Andrew do? Like, sure, you can ask me or you can ask them, but if you want to go and like read about, like has, on your, say, your first day, and you want to know who all your coworkers are, even though we're remote, um, and you're talking to them in Slack, all of a sudden we realize that it is important to have a description of what everybody does. Um, and that was kind of interesting. That was not something I had considered. I mean, before, as, we've, as we grow, we start to recognize the importance of those kinds of things more. more. I, an example of idea is that all of the original crew, which is like four, four to five people, they came on after I sent them a, a Twitter DM and said, hey, you want to come work? Awesome. See you tomorrow. Um, yeah. Things have to formalize a little bit more as we get bigger. Uh, and that's been a little bit of a challenge. But when it comes to like, job descriptions, we don't really do job descriptions unless we're doing a job posting, which has only happened once or twice. Um, most of the people that we have have joined us organically. Um, <clears throat> but everybody that we bring on is, it's made known that they have the flexibility to do anything they want in the company. Um, we will bring them on for a specific role or for a specific job. Um, and sure, we could give that a job description, but they have the flexibility to move within the company. So if, if they come in doing customer support and recognize that they really enjoy a different uh, aspect of, of this, this thing, um, they have the freedom to move over there and make themselves the most valuable as they can where their skills um, can be put to the most use. If that means that they move from customer support to marketing or they move from customer support development, that's great. Because honestly, if you're better in dev than you are customer support, I don't want you in customer support anymore. I mean, I, I don't want you, of course I want you there, but it's, it would be silly to not recognize where the most value is. And so we, we don't give people set titles or job descriptions because just because you know how to write code doesn't mean that is your job. Your job is where you are the most valuable to the company. So one of our developers is really good at data analysts. And so he does a lot with, with Google Analytics. But we don't put Google Analytics in his job description. We don't we necessarily just say you're a developer either because it becomes limiting. I love that. And that's a tweetable there. Your job is, uh, you know, where you contribute the most value to the company. That's, that's a great way yeah. to look at it. I do need to ask you one more question before we wrap up as being a leader in the WordPress community. How do you, what is your advice for end users and WordPress companies to navigate the transition with Gutenberg that's coming? I know that's kind of a big question, but um, what is, you know, there's, there's like uh, people are just trying to figure out the future and deal with change. Like what's your take on this whole thing? Well, I have a, I have a bunch of different opinions on it for, for end users. I think for anybody that is actually that's familiar and following it as an end user, uh, be patient. Uh, can I say something bluntly? Sure. Yeah. Shit's going to break. Yeah. Shit is going to break everywhere. And, and this is not because the core team is building something unreliable. It's not because plugin developers build things. It's just that there is a ton of moving parts. Um, I mean, if we look at the overall WordPress ecosystem, there's WordPress core, there's all these plugins, there's all these themes, there's all these platforms built on top of it. And the possibility of everything just working perfectly together out of the box is just not going to happen. I would love to say that's the reality, but it's not. So as, as Gutenberg comes around, things are going to be a little rough. Um, so 
be patient. Uh, and I, I think in the end, it's going, it will, it will work out well and it will be uh, beneficial to everybody once, once the rough edges get smoothed out. Um, as, a, as a product creator, um, one of the challenges is that we don't know what it's going to look like in the end. And so it's a little hard for us to prepare for it at the moment. Sure, there's, there's rough ideas and we can, we can participate in the development discussions, we can participate in testing, et cetera, but we're not really sure what the, the final picture is going to be. And so it's, we, we can't tell you, like, this is the way that Easy Digital Downloads is going to be with Gutenberg because we don't know. Like, we, we won't know for a while. Uh, so for end users, you need to be patient, um, but let us obviously tell people feedback, tell product creators feedback. Um, if you have things that you rely on, plugins, themes, et cetera, let them know. But yeah, be patient with them. And uh, yeah, I, I hope it works out really, really well. Um, I think we're going to have a, an interesting next year. Yeah. And I, in all that, there's a, uh, you know, there's a leadership opportunity. There's new businesses that can be born on the back of this change and, you know, helping people adapt or uh, it can draw a line in the sand of like, that was then, this is now. I mean, any software, you know, a major release when a, you know, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 typically has major changes like this. It's, it's a natural process. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for everything that you do. If you're been my pleasure, Chris. listening to this or watching the video, um, I'd encourage you to, to check out, especially affiliate WP. If you want to add an affiliate program to your courses, or your memberships, um, and then just check out all the other stuff that Pippin is up to. You can find him at pippin.com as well. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And I enjoyed this conversation immensely. My pleasure.